Welcome everybody to This Week in Mormons. We are your guest hosts. I'm Matt. Hi, I'm Melissa. We're siblings. Matt's my brother, my little brother by 10 months. Younger brother. Younger, Younger brother. brother, yeah. And uh, we were trying to decide what we should call ourselves. Well, because the twin sisters have such a cute name, twin sisters, and I was thinking we should call ourselves twin siblings, but you think that's a dumb name. Yeah, I don't like to be reductive and call myself something that other people have called themselves. So okay. I think we should be islands in the stream. No, we're not <laughs> islands so, in the stream. Hold on, a little bit of background. So, oh, was, Matt. <laughs> when I was younger, I. When uh, we were younger. When we were younger. Mm-hmm. We both loved to sing. Yes. Sometimes we would sing just the two of us, mm-hmm. and then sometimes we would sing in groups with. Uh, like my friend and your friend. Like we would go to rest homes a lot. Our mom plays the piano. We would sing in school groups. And I, I it took me a long time for my voice to change. So That's true. I, you had a very high voice for a long time. So, That's sometimes true. I would yeah. do the soprano line. That's right. Sometimes I would do the alto line, yeah. but never lower than alto. Anyhow, my mom <laughs> would play these songs that were duets on the piano. And so, you know, we did Light a Rose from the Music Man. Yes. We did, um, I can't remember what. You did, you did that one that goes... Really, really, really high. Earth Angel. Earth Angel, uh, Duke yes. Duke of Earl. Duke of Earl. You loved Duke of Earl. Okay, so anyways. So we did have this this song that we sang a lot together as a duet. As teenagers. Islands in the Stream. The Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers classic. But... But we were stupid because it's all about being in love with each other. Like it's the, the lyrics, we we, li- we listened to that song now and we're like, how did we sing and, and dance? Sing and dance <laughs> together to that song. Yeah. Um, we are not going to be called Islands in the Stream. I think um, it's a good Okay, well, we'll let the listeners decide. Um, yeah, so we're we're um, we're we're both um, active members of the church. We're longtime twin listeners. Um, I know, Matt, that you're hoping to replace old school Al Doan. Um, you really yeah. liked his work in the early of days of Twim. Yes. 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 And, and of course, we, we love Jeff and Kurt and the Twim sisters. And, and yeah, we're excited to be a part of this. We both currently are in Cache Valley. Matt, you're in between here and Rexburg. Yeah, that's one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I live in Cache Valley from Ogden. And... I was going to say that I teach at a church school and didn't want to say it, but if I'm between here and Rexburg, that's sort of... There's, it's kind of shockingly obvious where you work. Yeah. We if, may or may not bring it up. If we host longer, then maybe you'll hear more about my perspective on some of that stuff. But yeah. that's not our intention. Right. We just want to talk about the news. We do. We both grew up in Ogden, Utah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so um, we're going to run through a few segments. The first segment we are calling Quick Clips because we're just going to quickly run through a few of the week's stories. So the first story is that... The church announced that there was a hack affecting community members' personal data. So apparently the church database that has a lot of personal information was not as secure as everyone would hope it would be, and now that personal information is out there. Yeah, what I don't like is I think this hack happened back in March, and they're just now telling us about it. Um, but it's which I guess that know. is how hacks work. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe they didn't know. Yeah, so I'm trying to think about my personal information. I mean, well, what does the church have? That, my that really I... good Sunday school lessons. <laughs> <laughs> my tabs in the gospel uh, library. They're going to have my address and my phone number. Yeah, my picture that's 12 years old in <laughs> maybe, the LDS tools. Maybe my email address. <laughs> your old email address, your church email address. I don't know. Yeah. Callings, you think they'll have Well, a what call? about tithing information? Could no, tithing, no, they said it was donation? Separate. They said it was a different oh. database. 
So none of the banking stuff was hacked as part of that. Okay, so basically we're not worried. So again, at my school, that I don't want to name, we're <laughs> right. hacked all the time because there's those phishing emails. So there, yeah. I, don't we all live in a world where we expect that our information out there is just out there? I mean, I don't. But oh, you don't? I, I Listen, I don't let my phone track me ever. So oh, you don't? like when I'm like, where is a restaurant near me? It's like in Austin, Texas. Here are the local restaurants. Uh, because, yeah, I, I try to protect my data as much as possible, but no one else in my family Google does. Google knows everywhere I've been Absolutely. for the last four years. I know. And they re regularly email me and say, don't you want to give a review to that place you were at? Well, like, that was a gas station to get gas. I, yeah. don't, <laughs> I don't know that I have relevant information. Right and then they'll be like, do they have a handicapped restroom? <laughs> I, I can I don't know okay well yeah so um so yeah another way our information got hacked is basically what you're saying um my next quick clip is I just want to quickly talk about all of the places around the nation that are doing really cool Christmas lights at their temple squares obviously Salt Lake City Temple Square is doing their lights um they are under construction right now because the temple is being um, renovated obviously and a lot of temple squares kind of under construction so they said they have um about 30 percent of the previously available open area area open for lights so they're only doing about 30 percent of the area that they did before but they're still trying to stick everything that used to be in there in there um they're leaving the lights on for longer hours because they want people to be able to go visit and um and and that's about it they're saying like hey don't don't forget about us still come have you been to temple score since they closed everything down i mean i've driven past it it's so I went there about like a month ago, maybe not even that. Yeah. Because my son and his wife were out to visit. So we parked at the conference center mm -hmm. down below, which if you're there at like a busy time, you have to pay a lot of money to park there. Then we went to the Temple Square gate and you can walk into the old Temple Square area, but there's a big wall and we wanted um. to go to the Joseph Smith building. We had to walk all the way around the entire Temple Square, all the way past that Brigham Young house, all the way. And then just to get into the Joseph Smith building. Huh. And then they had a sign that was like, don't go up to the top floor because it's closed. But we did anyways. Oh, naturally. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's rules. the only way to see down into the temple. <laughs> I know my daughter-in-law was like, I don't think we should be doing this. I'm like, oh, calm down. This yeah. is how we do things in Utah. We just go where we want to go. Okay. <laughs> so anyhow, I can't imagine that seeing the Christmas lights would be a positive experience. I mean, it's something we try to do, but... I think it's for the sake of tradition. They want people to know that, that you can carry on your traditions. Well, so if you're planning on doing it, I would say park over at that new uh, plaza that they have. What is that? The mall over there? Mm -hmm. I would park over there and don't plan on going, what would that be, east of like the old tabernacle area because i don't think that's all blocked off you can't even we couldn't even like through the administration gardens all that stuff you mm -hmm. can do all closed down hmm. okay and that's the story i have is that all those other buildings are about to get closed down the lion house the oh really house all of that stuff. oh because they're redoing all of them mm -hmm. okay in fact we tried to sneak through the church administration building to get over there but there were some nice sister missionaries at the desk there that are like where do you guys want to go we're like we just want to sneak through and get over to the joseph smith building and they're like yeah you can't do that we can't that's do that so that's what i've learned is if they don't want you somewhere there's a missionary there that will tell you don't, don't go, go here and if the missionary is like away for a time yeah then it means it's okay for a little bit 
Okay. Uh, well, they do want you to know that the focus is not about sneaking around and breaking rules. It's about focusing on the Savior, Jesus Christ. So right. you might want to keep that in mind. Uh, the Mesa Temple in Mesa, Arizona um, is having a huge light celebration. They do every year. I hear that it rivals um, Salt Lake City. Um, but they are also doing, in addition to their lights, um, they're doing a nativity display, but they're also doing murals of Christ. Um, and it says there's floor to ceiling murals all throughout um, the area there. Um, and then they're going to have giving machines there at the Mesa Temple. So they have a lot going on there. Have you ever used those giving machines? Yeah, have you? No, I see them a lot and I watch the inspirational commercials for them but I don't quite understand how it works. Oh, it's super fun. So you walk up and you choose what you want to buy. Okay. And it like could be like, machine? like a vending machine. It could be a bottle, bottle of water. And then they, you know, send those bottles of water to people in need. But what we bought the last time we did it was a goat. And then they give that goat and, and it went to, I can't remember what country, but a third world nation where somebody gets to then raise that goat and it provides milk for their family. And um, and so when we did it, you could buy a goat and you could buy a chicken and you could buy water bottles. How much is a goat? Like $25. Come on. No, for reals. How can they get a goat to another country for $25? Well, I don't think they're shipping it from the giving machine <laughs> to the country. I think, I think they're actually accessing them in the country of need. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So it's like the church has something set up. Yes. Yeah. And then and you're donating to, do to it and you're they're like a goat is this much. Do you want to give a goat to a kid who's going to raise it? And you're like, for sure I do. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, it's awesome. And like a chicken. How much was a chicken? I can't remember, but it's not all for third world countries. A lot of the things that you can purchase in the giving machine are for local needs in that community, too. So but you pick you pick how you want to donate. What if I want a missionary to give somebody a hug? Uh, no, that's not it's how not the giving machine good. works, but you can start a Facebook account. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, Matthew, moving on. <laughs> Quentin Cook welcomed ambassadors and leaders from many countries to the Washington, D.C. temple lighting ceremony and, uh, and posted about it on Instagram. Quentin L. Cook actually has a pretty good Instagram. I think he's one of the few apostles that that does a really good job. Do you think he does it? I do think he does it. Yeah, I don't know if all the rest of them do, but I think he does. Because you know how he kind of has a quirky way of speaking? Yeah. Yeah, it follows that. Really? Yeah. And That's so interesting. Yeah, I just always thought that all of those accounts were like interns of some kind or missionaries of some kind managing those pages. Because but I, I think a lot of them probably are. I don't know. I don't spend a lot of... I can see that Elder Bednar spends a lot of time kind of cultivating he does. his content. Yeah. And yeah. Elder Uchtdorf, it seems like his is mostly quotes from conferences. Yeah. So that just made me kind of wonder, like, is it really them or is it like, yeah. because we're all supposed to use social media as missionary tools. Right. So I just didn't know if they're... I think his is. And why is he posting about the dignitaries coming to D.C.? Because he was there and welcomed them to the temple light ceremony. Oh. So they lit all the lights at the Washington, D.C. temple. Does he live in And invited dignitaries. I wonder why he was there. Maybe he's uh, to welcome there. them. May, uh, who knows? Listen, oh, we don't know. Okay. Uh, two places are doing massive nativity displays. The first one is in Michigan. They have a thousand nativities on display, um, and they're asking people to come this weekend, so the second through the fourth. And it's just in a cultural hall chapel, and it's put on by two wards, and they're just taking turns cleaning it in between and welcoming visitors. A thousand is a lot. Um, it's actually 
It's not. That's not that unusual. There's one in Logan. Did you know that? Well, I I know there's been one in Logan in the past that I've been to. Are they doing it this year? There's a person that has like a thousand of their own. That of their own. All theirs. Yeah. And they just put them out in the church. Yeah. Um, the and next in one Kansas, is. They would do it. They would do it. Yeah. So maybe it's a really common tradition. Because some people, like my wife, collect nativities. And like, then have to display them. Yeah, so in my house well, I think it's a good community event, like somewhere that's not Logan, Utah, where you have a lot of non-LDS yeah, yeah. people. This one in Palo Alto, California, um, it is, they expect 10,000 visitors in five days, and it's been going for 35 years. And yeah, they do it to just, well, they started it because they wanted people to know that we are actually believers in Jesus Christ. And they thought like, maybe if we just invite them to the nativity, then they'll see. But yeah, now it's, um, they have, they're expecting 10,000 visitors and, um, and it's all religions and all sorts of community members, like it's their annual thing that they do. It's pretty cool. I think it's good. It gets people inside of a church house. A lot of people would never go inside an LDS meeting house. Yes. Other than that. Yeah. So I, I think it's a good missionary tool. And they probably have cookies. Have you seen these ones where it's live people? Actual people will okay. sit outside. We have that in Logan too. Oh, you do? Oh yeah, they, ha they do it outside at a farm and they have llamas and like a huge camel and like don like actual animals wow. and then they have hay rides. Wait, that reminds me one time in Kansas, we did something like this. Yeah. And people brought animals to the church house, church building and outside they built a, like a manger. A manger. Uh -huh. And then we didn't have, we didn't staff it all the time because members of the church had other things to do. Oh, they did? Just, okay. okay. <laughs> it's like just being there. Yeah. But at nighttime there would be people sitting there and then you'd go inside and then see all the other nativities. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. So we had a foreign exchange student over uh -huh. uh, a little while back and she was so excited for Christmas. And so were we, and we're like, I can't wait to sing Christmas songs. And for her, it was all Mariah Carey. And like, oh yeah. Yeah. For her, Christmas was so commercialized. Yeah. And in my life, it's never been that way. Uh -huh. And so I think it is neat to like remind people of the meaning of Christmas. I think sometimes in Utah, we, we think that everybody thinks of Christmas as yeah. the true root meaning of Christmas. Yeah. But I think more and more, there's not as many people that do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. So, so great ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Elder Holland had a birthday. I think it's funny. The church news posted Elder Holland is 82. And to celebrate, here are nine quotes of his from the past year. First of all, I don't know what 82 has to do with nine. Like that's bothersome. Like that it should be eight or two or a combination of that. But yeah, he's adorable. He's 82 years old. And, um, and he had some neat quotes that the, the church news wanted to I'm highlight. I'm totally so. doing that for my next birthday. <laughs> for your next birthday. Everyone gather. Happy now. birthday. We're not singing to me. You're going to listen to <laughs> my, my quotes my from the quotes. past year that, that I said. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and it has to come from your journal. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You didn't no. write it down, kids. No kidding nope. for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, also, like, as, as a sign of the international flavor of the church, Yes. The Tabernacle Choir is going through some changes. And as I... Um, I think we call them Tabcats. The oh, Tabernacle really? Choir at Temple Square. And they're adding more to the name now, right? Like Well, I, that's what I was going to say. World. Like, I don't think we can keep calling them Tabcats. Tabernacle Choir <laughs> at, at Temple, Temple Square throughout the world. Tabcats. <laughs> Tab really? Do we really call them Tabcats? That's what, that's what we call them, Tabcats. Cool. Oh. Yeah. What did I call them? You call them the Tabernacle Choir. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you just have can't have the word Mormon in it. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. So 
So wait, it says one change is adding the words throughout the world, oh, to the choir's mission statement. Right, right, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I think there's still gonna be the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square. So they're gonna allow people from other countries to participate in the choir, which is- Because currently you've had to live close enough to practice with the choir, right? Thursdays. Okay. But I don't think it's in every, I don't think they're gonna be in music in the spoken word. They're just gonna translate music in the spoken word into other languages for that. Okay. Which I think is a wonderful yeah, idea. Yeah, I think that's interesting. So many yeah. members of the church speak a language other than English. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and for my family, we watch it almost every week. And so I, I really like it. I don't know if they can translate the songs but maybe that'll be part of the new hymnal or something. They'll sing songs from the new hymnal hmm. that are in already translated. Mm -hmm. But it's like general conference. Remember there was that general conference during COVID when there was a song. When they, they did, yeah. And they showed people from different parts of the world and they just kind of broadcast, here's a choir in this area and a choir in this area. Yeah, that was cool. That's what I think they're trying to do. But they're still gonna have tryouts. You're still gonna have to be like a well-trained musician because that's kind of the point of Tabcats, right? Right. Well, so what is it? So in the next general conference, people from Mexico, Central America, South America, West Africa, the Philippines, and Asia will be invited to join the choir. They expect to add between five and twenty people to the three hundred sixty-person choir. Wait, so that's so, yeah, so a few. But that doesn't sound like a video broadcast. That sounds like no, I I don't think it is. I think they're bringing them in to sing with the choir. Yeah. Wow, so they'll like train at home, practice at home, and then they'll yeah. fly them out? Yeah. Well, because, um, side note, our mom works for the Tabernacle Choir. She mm -hmm. works kind of behind the scenes. She's what's called a music reader. And so she works on the production end and helps with the director and producer. So what the point is, is that every week before Music in the Spoken Word, she gets a big file folder of all the songs that they're going to be singing so that she can prepare for the broadcast. So I'm sure they would could just send something similar out to anybody who's going to be singing and be like, learn the music, learn the parts. I mean, there's Zoom. I'm sure that they can talk with a conductor and all that kind of stuff. I should have just read a little further. Oh, well then. With the help of church leaders around the world, the choir is already taking steps to identify and select people in these countries who have the qualifications to sing with the choir yeah. and helping them through an audition process similar to what current members of the choir go through. Each of these candidates would qualify to be in the choir if they lived near Salt Lake City where the choir is based. Yes. So they're saying like you still have to meet the requirements to be a member of the choir. It, we're not just like picking like this stake, you know what I mean? We're picking actual singers but they have to live and musicians. Like no, they're saying if they did, then they would be in the oh, choir. Oh, oh, but oh, since oh. they don't, we're going to give them this opportunity. Okay. Yeah. To help these people prepare, they will travel to Salt Lake City a month before general conference to begin practicing with the choir. Look what happens when we read. That was amazing. <laughs> okay, that's a cool story. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. The church is so global, but you don't always see it in general conference. So well, and like this is time. from the new choir president, um, Mike Levitt. And I, I think he's got some great ideas. So yeah. good job, Levitt. Um, okay, it's time for our next segment. Okay, this is called What's the Word? We're still going to talk about news stories, <clears throat> but um, what, what we're going to do is I'm going to read you a headline or you're going to read me a headline. Okay, just based only on the headline. We're both going to say the word that comes to our mind, mm -hmm. and then we can talk about it. Then I'll tell you what the story is. Then you, okay, but so first you, you have to say it based on what the headline is. Okay, so we have to say what's the word based on the headline. Okay. Mm -hmm. you, so the first headline is David Archuleta gave a concert, and when he started talking about his sexuality, people walked out. Okay. So the word is one. Homophobe. No, I thought we were going to count to three. Okay. One, okay, one two, three. Homophobe. Okay, boomer. Okay. Except okay. for that, if you hear the whole story, 
then you, you don't think either one of them. Okay, tell us the whole story. So, so David Archuleta was like walking through the Los Angeles. I don't, I don't know how the story got put out there, but the original story is that David Archuleta is giving his concert. Then he starts talking about his sexuality, and then people get up and leave. But okay. then on Twitter, like David Archuleta says, the, what really happened was the concert happens okay. and during the encore. When he comes back out on stage, oh, okay, he starts talking about his life story and everything that's going on. So he's getting life. more personal. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And about a dozen people got up and left. Did they say things? They didn't say anything. Oh, they just left? Yeah. Okay. So, so do you feel like somebody was looking for a story? A hundred percent, don't okay. you think? Uh, yeah. Would you consider that like, okay, have you ever been to a concert? Where people get up and, and leave early. And leave during the encore yeah. or before the encore? Yeah. All the time, right? Right, right. Do you, yeah. And they didn't say anything. Was the concert in Utah? Yeah, that was in Utah. Okay. That's why. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's why I said, okay, Boomer, because, um, it, it's an age thing. Maybe I could be wrong, but, um, but, but no Boomer wants to sit and wait through the encore. They got to get out of the parking lot. They got to get out of there. What more Christmas songs could he possibly be singing? <laughs> we heard all of it. Does it, does anybody really say? Have you ever heard him in concert? He Only is like, so good. The more, I, I really like his. Oh, song. when he did sing with the choir. That's yeah, right. I yeah. On my playlist, I have two of his Christmas yeah, songs. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And I do feel like he's doing a respectful job of saying what he needs to say right now. He's not being anti. He's not being negative. He's no. just saying, like, I'm having a personal experience, and I feel like I can share it with you. And, and people I, frequently get personal mm -hmm. in concerts. Yeah. That's not an unusual thing to do. Yeah. But also people will leave in that. Yeah. And yeah. It doesn't say anything about, yeah, okay. Okay. All right, here's my headline. Now, I'm going to say three, two, one before yeah, we yeah, say yeah, the word. Yeah. Okay. All right, um, my headline is um, all married members should be considered for release from YSA positions. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm three, okay, think uh -huh. of the word. Okay. Three, two, one, desperate. delegate. <laughs> desperate. Desperate. Go on. Okay, I'm gonna tell you, I was a YSA bishop. Yes. And so as a YSA bishop, you have to, at, before now, you have to call a married person to be your counselor in a YSA bishopric. Yes. And you can choose from anybody in the area, but there's like feeder stakes, right? Like you right. can only, so I had to choose people I had never met before in my entire life to be a counselor in my bishopric. And they said, except if you choose a, a married student, you can choose any married student. So then, it, so what I did, I had a great counselor that was a married student, and then I had a great counselor that was um, from another area and a stake, and I'd never met him before, and it was okay. great. But the reality is, like, like if you're, let's say you're 25, and you're a, a really good active member of the church, and you're single in a YSA ward. Yeah. And then some 21-year-old just gets married, and it's like, well, you can be in the bishopric because right. you're married, and right. you can't because you're not. It creates this weird dynamic. Yes. Where, uh, so many times I was like, why can't I call so-and-so to be a clerk? Yes. Well, because these are the rules. Okay, so yes, to be clear. So the story is that the, the, the policy has changed. And what they're, they're not saying that you cannot call a married person. But they're saying, we recommend you release all those married people. Like, it's our recommendation that you now have single people serve in every single um, position except for bishop and stake president of the YSA ward. So, like, our my stake's YSA ward the whole bishopric is married and in their 40s, right? And then even the 
Relief Society, like the stake YSA Relief Society president is a married yeah. woman. Yeah. And so they're saying no more. Let's let all of the stake presidencies, all the of the Relief council. Society presidencies, the whole high council, yeah. all of the clerks, everybody be young single adults and only the bishop and stake president be married. I think it's a great plan. Um, that's why I said delegate. I think so many times we're like, yeah, we're going to let them lead. We're going to let them be in charge. But we take over. Like we say we're going to let them, but we actually don't let them. Like we're like, you're in charge to a certain extent. But I will say sometimes in YSA wards, the, even the really good people are a little less committed than you would want them to be. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that's why I said desperate. Desperate. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because... I, th I think that there's this hope that like if you, I don't know, like if you use more people who are their age and in their ward and uh, in, like, yeah. in their situation, that somehow ward council will be better or somehow you'll be able to reach them. Whereas like at my age with my wife, we try to like reach out to them, but they're still like, hey, yeah. you're an old man, you don't know her. Well, how you situation. feel about peers being part of, say, um, a church disciplinary council process or peers being part of a um, temple interview process, that sort of a thing. I think that so many young people have the spiritual maturity to do just fine with that. Yeah. And, um, but so the high count, yeah, it's good, right? So I've noticed like, if you look at who's called as general authorities from other countries, You'll get these like 40 year old mm -hmm. general authority stake presidents things mm -hmm. like that and i often think why doesn't that happen in the united states and i think a big part of it is in other countries when you're young you're given a lot of responsibility because they need you and they they need to rely on you yeah and oftentimes here in the united states we have so many people that we don't start giving people big responsibilities at such a young age because mm -hmm. we're maybe afraid that they're not ready for it so I think that it can be good, right? I think that yeah. all of it is always led by inspiration. Yeah. And and I think that it'll give opportunities to people who otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, I think it's very positive. All right. Uh, you have another headline for us? Yeah, so this one is a little bit more academic. Okay. But it's in an outlet called The Conversation. Okay. And it's um, somebody who studies, um, like, does Wait, wait, wait. You just have to give me the headline. I know, but I have to give you, like... I have to give you the context. Okay, all right, okay. 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 Well, so the headline is, Church's Celebration of Latino Cultures Puts Spotlight on an Often Overlooked Diversity. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, three, two, okay, 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 okay. Um, okay. Three, two, one. Time. Resplendent. <laughs> I just wanted to use a big Topical? word. Resplendent. <laughs> okay, what's the story? Okay, so the story is that 40% of the membership of the worldwide church is Latino. That's a large number. I didn't <clears throat> know it was that big. Huge. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And that if you look at General Conference and you look at the leadership of the church, the global leadership of the church, you don't see that reflected. Right. And so this person studies uh, Latinos in who are members of our church and more like the cultural aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So this 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 particular story in the conversation uh, goes through like the challenges that happen. Let's say in, in Arizona, when you get some like, uh, for lack of a better word, conservative Republican members of our church and some Latino Republican members of our church and the way that they interpret that differently. Right. And so that like if on the topic of immigration, they might not agree with each other and some might feel offended by the others. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I think is most interesting is that 
in the Latino culture, according to this author, let me find her name so we can I can give her the proper attribution. Yes, that would be nice. <clears throat> um, Brittany Romanello. Okay. Um, she's from Arizona State University. Yeah. So according to the work that she's done, um, Latina members of our church don't hold leadership positions, but they're the backbone of strength in these communities. Right. And I think that that's a fascinating thing that's often forgotten. I think that it's probably, I'm going to agree with her that that's probably especially true in the Latina community since that's what she finds. Mm -hmm. But I actually think it's true worldwide in the church mm -hmm. that you have this sort of like hierarchical structure where if you walk into a church building and say, oh, that bishop and those counselors, they're the ones that are in charge because they're up on the stand. Mm -hmm. But who's really making things go is the members of the church that aren't on the stand. Right. And then in that group, it's probably oftentimes the women and the mothers that are making that happen. Mm -hmm. That Interesting. oftentimes the guys aren't doing quite as much. And so this particular, that's why the headline was about how this celebration puts a spotlight on that because this celebration that they've had on a regular basis called uh, La Luna, hold on, let me find the name of it. Luz de las Naciones. Really good translation there, Matt. Say it one more time. Light of the mm, Nations. Beautiful, beautiful. So it's got 500 cast members most of whom are member latino members of the church like this is put on right by mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i love it but you see that in, it's not just a latino thing in our church do you think um i i think that um women have definitely stepped up and taken more of a public role in the last say decade i think that that hasn't happened in Lat the latino communities like i even see that here in hiram where um 20 percent hiram utah of the community here is Latino, um, and they are doing all kinds of things, but it's just within a Latino community. But within the overall Hiram community, it's not integrated. And yeah, so yeah. And so it's like, there's almost like two <laughs> communities trying to put on things to to reach the same goal, but but it, yeah, it's just not integrated. And and I, I would love to see more integration of those, um, a community that really does know how to make a lot of really cool things happen, um, but they're not given the opportunity to do that within the church. I see this a lot with because they're Spanish branches. True. So there will be somebody that's new to an area that I'll get to know them and try and integrate them into the ward, and they like don't quite feel like they fit in, mm -hmm. and then they go to the Spanish branch and they become a rock in the Spanish yes. branch. Yeah. And they like there is this sort of like cultural gap mm -hmm. between a lot of Spanish-speaking members of the church and then the English church, mm -hmm. and so that this article is a lot about that. I don't know the solution to that, um, but. It is out there. I yeah. think anyone, but it's it's out there with every culture. Like yeah, it's just it's just that like you said, forty percent of the church is Latino. Yeah. 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 But and what were you saying about your Ukrainian friends? They feel the same kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? Like you're in, but you're it's just different, mm -hmm. right? And and the church is different, and I just see this a lot as as people from all over the world come to Utah for school or for something like that. True they the the church they encounter is not the church that they joined wherever they live and yeah there's like this tension and a lot of it is cultural right it's the church culture yeah mm -hmm. yeah okay we're going to jump to our next one i'm going to give you the headline okay mm -hmm. how the church selects temple sites okay three right. two one inspiration duh. no duh the, the church news <laughs> did put out a big article and they said hey we want to let you know how this happens and and this is what they said. 
The presiding bishopric looks at statistics, membership statistics, growth statistics. They present things to the first presidency. The first presidency then makes a decision. Yes, we need a temple here. No, we don't. And then the presiding bishopric picks the location where it should be. I don't know why they have, like, it's, they put out a full video about it, Matthew, like a full video that explains, okay, here's gonna, what we do. I'm going to tell you why, that, why they had to do this, okay. in my opinion. Okay. Okay, so in my old ward uh, where I lived, uh, I had a lot of acquaintances who know people, let's just say, high up in the church. Okay. Okay, so this person that I was close to was good friends with Henry B. Eyring and would go skiing with him on a regular basis okay. in the rappels. This and is such a seven degrees to Henry B. Eyring story. Okay, go ahead. No, so yeah, go like, ahead. They announced that they were going to build some church thing somewhere. Okay. And my, the guy that I know, as he's skiing with Henry B. Eyring, he's like, hey, why don't you tell me where it's going to be? Because this land is nothing now. And once you announce oh, a temple, it's going to be worth a lot, a lot of, of money. money. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And, and he said the way that Henry B. Eyring responded to him was basically to let him know, don't you dare ever even hint at or joke at asking me a question like that ever again. Oh, uh-huh. Because even just the perception that I know where the temple's going to be before it's going to be built there is this perception that there's some inside information oh. inside to make a lot of money. Okay. Right? So, yeah. So, that's why you're saying, like, it's important that they explain stuff like this. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, because, like, that temple in Pocatello... It was built like in nowhere, Pocatello, mm -hmm. but all these nice houses are going up around there right. now. And if you owned that land around the temple, then you make a lot of money. I see. And nobody else knew necessarily, right? Once that, you like that, that temple, would become a great place to be. You build roads there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, one other thing that they did say is that um, they have like six or eight core designs that they reuse over and over and over again. So that the architecture, instead of having to last, say, 18 months, goes down to like six months. So they're they're cutting oh. down the period of time that it takes to design a temple. So they just have these core designs, but then the interior and exterior finishes are always um, made changes based on like, to, they want it to fit the culture um, of the area that the temple's in. So um, a lot of the temples look different on the outside and, you know, the interior design, but they're basically working on just a few designs. And they don't have Angel Moroni anymore. Mm, that's controversial. No, they don't. A lot of them don't. A lot of them don't, but it's not like doctrine that they can't. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. If Moroni fits with your culture, you can have him. That's correct. That's correct. Okay, thanks, Matt. <laughs> oh, okay, so okay. the next thing is comes from the Deseret News. Okay. Our church members... Oh, no, no. It says this. Utah Republicans don't want Trump. Okay. Okay, so that's the headline? That's the headline. Okay, just a Utah second. Utah Republicans don't want Trump. Okay, okay. It's in the opinion section. Okay, three, two, one. Which Captain Moroni. Clickbait <laughs> was another one I thought of. What was it? Clickbait. Wishful, wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. I just said Captain Moroni because didn't that one... Um... Mike Lee? Senator Mike Lee? No, no, I wasn't actually thinking of that story. I was thinking of the guy who dressed as Captain Moroni oh, and went January to the January 6th. 6th. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, well, this isn't a political that, podcast. Don't you think the Senator Mike Lee had some influence on that decision? I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. We're not going to talk about it. I call it clickbait or wishful thinking because if you read this opinion piece, there's a Democrat talking all about how bad Trump is, and then there's a Republican saying, well, look, all of these Republicans signed this letter saying that they don't want Trump anymore. And the whole thing is just wishful thinking, right? Okay, yeah. What do you think? 
I think I so that members of the church are anti-Trump and members of the church are pro-Trump. Yeah. I think members of the church are people. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. And they're going to have a wide range of opinions. So many of them want Trump. I think the Deseret News doesn't want Trump, and that's why they wrote this political piece. <laughs> that's what I think. That's why they thought of the opinion piece. Well, this is what I will say that's interesting right now. Yes. I have this theory that history repeats itself every hundred years. Okay. So Teddy Roosevelt and Taft, you guys can look it up if you want. It's the same thing as what's happening in the Republican Party today. Uh huh. And that's just about a hundred years. About a hundred years. Okay. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt, in a lot of ways, had this personality similar to Trump. Uh huh. And Taft was his best friend, and then they had this little fight with each other, and then Teddy Roosevelt went and started his own party and destroyed the Republican Party for a time. Okay. And, like, this stuff just happens. Okay, so based on history repeating itself... Trump and the Republican... Well, let's just say Trump and Mitt Romney. Although <laughs> they were never friends, right? But yeah. Trump and... We can pick Mike Pence if you want to. No, I just wanted you to call the next presidential election based on history. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't do that. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> sounds good. Okay, here's our final headline to, uh, to play our little quick word game on, okay? Mm-hmm. All right. Why Americans are leaving their churches. Okay, why Americans are leaving their churches. I should tell you it's by um, Jana Reese. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Millennial. Okay, okay. Fake news? <laughs> okay. Not true? Um, actually, this article by Jana Reese in the Salt Lake Tribune, um, and, and she's just reiterating um, a book that somebody else wrote. So it's not technically like her research. Um, it's based on British sociologist Stephen Boulevard. But um, he actually has three reasons why Americans are leaving um, their churches. But he does focus a lot specifically on members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He points to them in a lot of his research um, specifically. So I thought it was worth bringing up. But he said there's, um, there's a few reasons. Um, the one that I think is the most interesting is that it's the appearance of the internet that is the reason why people are leaving their church. Matthew, you're shaking your head. This guy Listen, is so stupid. <laughs> he's a sociologist. Yeah, you're going to think all sociologists no, are stupid. Some of them do good work. Seriously, the <laughs> internet. Well, what he says is that it, now you have the ability to talk to like-minded people who you never would have met in real life before. So if you're brought up in small town Kansas, you weren't going to find other people who were having, say, the same religious doubts that you were. And now there's a lot of people that you can meet with and talk to. And you're like, oh, I'm not the only one who thinks this way. And so it gives you more freedom or ability to say like, yeah, I don't have to belong to this church or to any church. Yeah, I didn't have that experience in high school because there was no internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, that's true. Well, so I'll just say that my biggest problem with all of this sort of stuff is it's all based on this, th this observation that the number of people in America who identify as none, when you say, what religion are you? Right. They say none. Yeah. That number was increasing. A, but it, it says a third of Americans now claim no religion. One third. But that's too high. Because the U.S. census of religions, where they go by, and, and we could like fight about yeah. the numbers. But, yeah. But whether, I think it's closer to 20%. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is that it's plateaued. It was going up for oh, a while, and then uh -huh. it's plateaued. Uh-huh, yeah. So if the answer is the internet, then mm -hmm. shouldn't the trend continue increasing, increasing, increasing? But mm -hmm. not just that, it's that there are other things that have happened. Like, let's say you're a millennial. Yeah. And you, in your life, what you hear about the Catholic Church is 
that abuse stuff that happened right. in the Catholic that's, Church. That's the primary story you've heard about the Catholic Church. Yeah. yeah, and as you're looking at evangelicals, like there's so many stories of hypocritical evangelical pastors, that those televangelists, right, that say they're one way and then they end up being hypocritical yes. and end up yes. in jail. And so, so then the millennials, as they grow up, they say, why do I need organized religion? Mm-hmm. And so I think that what happens is you see this rise because millennials... Because the whole generation is doing it. saying, I don't need organized religion. But their question is, they're opting out of... What is the, the headline that they're opting out of? Um, they're churches, leaving, leaving churches. churches. Right. It's not about God. It's not even about belief. It's about just organized church. But it says they're leaving. And yeah. I'm saying they were never there. Okay. Right. Maybe. So I don't, yeah, I mean, if, yeah, if you look at the numbers. I mean, to be fair, his third reason of three, they're, they're leaving because they're leaving. There's no explanation. <laughs> That's what actually his third reason is. They're leaving because they're leaving because sometimes people leave. But so it's my, so I take umbrance with yeah. leaving. Mm. Millennials are like anti-organization altogether. They, they're okay. informal and they... They don't need organized things. So they're not That's leaving, they're just never there. And in terms of religiosity, millennials who don't go to church are just as religious as the millennials that who is do true. go to church. Yeah, that is so true. So they're not leaving yeah. church. They're right. just churching a different way. Okay, okay. All right, um, Matt, you have a ridiculous yeah, game that you want to play for our next segment, which you call Famous Mormons. Yeah, yeah. I'm just prepared for whatever you bring. Okay, so okay. it's just a hobby of mine. Okay, great. So when I say a famous Mormon, it doesn't mean that they're a practicing member of the church. Or it just a means current? They, or current. It just means okay. they have some connection. They've either been to church or their families. Oh, okay, been to church. so it's based on a they're lot of he said, she said. But it's they're familiar viable. with church? Like they're. Like it's like you know how people have family members that are no longer in the church, but they were at some point, or they used to go to church with them. Okay. I don't want to like give too many details. Okay. Okay. So fine. Okay. So what? What's? What's? Okay, so what are we doing? Pick which of these three? Tom Hanks, Newt Gingrich, Machine Gun Kelly. Which, which of them of are them Mormons? Has the members of, of the church connection to our church that I described? Previously. Which of those three are? Okay. Give me the names again. Tom Hanks. Okay. Newt Gingrich. Yes. Machine Gun Kelly. I hope it's Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> I, I, my kids love Machine Gun Kelly so much. And I would love to go home and say, do you know who's Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint adjacent? That would be so exciting. He's too millennial for that to be the right answer. Uh, Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. Tom, Hanks. Tom Hanks. Tell me the story. I, I don't. So Tom Hanks, his mom, like had different boyfriends and they'd live with different boyfriends from okay. time to time. Okay. At one point in his life, his mom was living with a member of our church in Nevada. So it uh, and living he, with and he okay. would go to primary every week. How adorable. Yeah, because they would send him to primary. May <laughs> I ask States. you may I ask you where you got this information from? <laughs> you can Google it. Okay. Oh, okay. It's Googleable. <laughs> This is a fun segment. I don't think he, I, I don't think Tom Hanks. He told he's on so many talk shows. Sure. So he's he said like if we called him. I yeah, should we? <laughs> hey Tom, did you go to primary? So any so sometimes people really really hate on Tom Hanks because he hates on us. But oh, that's maybe, true. I forgot that he did maybe that. Maybe he hates us because he loves us. Oh. Or because he I don't know. Okay. Maybe that was just a bad time in his life, right? Maybe okay. he didn't love primary the way I do. Okay. Or maybe they made him sing in the. 
the primary program when he was too old. Well, that <laughs> would turn me off too. Didn't want to sing anymore. Um, I do have a fun story about Tom Hanks. Um, so my profession, I'm a high school librarian. I, I'm a library media teacher. So uh, last week I went down to my favorite bookstore to find books for the library. It's called King's English Bookstore in Salt Lake City. And they had this random book by Tom Hanks. It's called Typewriter. Yeah. And I had never heard of this book. No? And it's just a bunch of essays written by Tom Hanks. On a typewriter. On a typewriter about typewriters. Yes, he collects them. Okay, he this has is... A abiding passion for typewriters. Okay, well, that's funny. The... I bought the book <laughs> because it's adorable. <laughs> Gosh. Well, okay, now that was a fun segment. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Oh, I have so many more. Oh, good. <laughs> I can't wait. Yay. All right. Twim sisters like to do Mormons behaving badly. Um, Matthew, you would like us, instead of doing Mormons behaving badly, to um, talk about Mormons doing goodly. Yes. Okay. We've got a couple stories about that. Yeah, so these ones are just famous ones, but if we continue on with this, we'll start getting like more personal. Sure. We want everyday Mormons. Yes, absolutely, Mormons. absolutely. So mine is Spencer Cox. Who is the, the governor, governor of Utah. Utah. Mm -hmm. I have to uh, blow up this picture because I'm blind. Okay. So he says, every year, my extended family has a Thanksgiving meal with refugees. This year, we met new families from Ukraine, Afghanistan, South Sudan, Congo, and Venezuela. We eat together and play together. It's hard to communicate and always starts out awkward, but I always end up perfect. Seriously though, here we are, 70 different people from five different continents speaking five different languages, and in less than two hours, we're best friends laughing together and just thoroughly enjoying each other. It's something I wish everyone could experience at least once. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, I like that. Good job, Spencer Cox. That's interesting because my Mormons doing goodly has to do with Spencer Cox's wife, Abby Cox. So Abby Cox is the First Lady of Utah. She has um, her own podcast. It's called um, First Lady and Friends. And recently, she, for the first time ever, interviewed high school students on her podcast. And I was really impressed with these high school students who are all members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and the title of her podcast was Creating an Inclusive High School Culture Through Unified Sports. And she just talked to these three, um, Elizabeth Fonsbeck, Bracken Hertzler, and Stephen Hatfield, um, high school seniors, about um, the work that they're doing to include special needs students in their day-to-day -day lives, in their high school. Um, but it was such a great conversation because it was just so genuine, these high school students talking about um, making friendships, talking about caring for other people, and talking a lot about actually they dove into social media and um, if they have a phone, if they're allowed to have a phone, how they use that phone. And then two of the students actually had really large families, 10 plus siblings each. Yeah. Um, and they talked about you know being a part of a family and having to be like a leader in that family. And I just thought it was just such a great example of really like our youth are pretty awesome and just you talk to any regular ordinary youth I think you're going to find a great story and I just thought it was neat that they were highlighted in this way and the three of them were just able to say like yeah we're regular teenagers and we're really trying hard to be good people so it's not Abby Cox it's the teenagers it's the teenagers yeah yep yeah. and they're on, they're on her podcast so I thought that was really neat yeah I think that's cool we'll try and do more like yeah. just everyday people yeah yeah Okay, so now our final segment, um, we want to do a Mormon history focus. I like to do, it's called This Week in Mormon History. Okay. 
And I, the reason I think it's uh, important is just because sometimes as we talk about the news and we talk about what's going on, we feel like we're so unique. Like mm -hmm. We feel like we're experiencing things people have never experienced before. And um, so I, I thought I'd just read some of these and then we could just talk about them. Okay, so this week in Mormon history. history. Okay, cool. So the first one is 130, 130 years ago today. Well, of course, this isn't today. But anyway, December 2nd, 1892, Wilfred Woodruff instructs Lorenzo Snow, the next ranked apostle, to organize the new first presidency immediately after the church president's death. So, okay, uh, so he's the current president of the church, mm -hmm. and he's telling the person who's going to be the next church president, as soon as I die, this is, this is what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because up until that time, there would be a period of time that they would wait. Okay. And President Woodruff is saying, we don't have to wait. Like, the Quorum of the Twelve led the church across the plains. Right, and without was, a prophet. Right. Okay. And the president of the Quorum of the Twelve was the de facto leader, but the first presidency wasn't organized until I think they were in Canesville. Okay. Uh, they're crossing the okay, plains. okay. So that's only 130 years ago that yeah. that has happened. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is, that was just like, okay, this is No, that is interesting, okay. This is kind of a fun one. Okay. 30 years ago. Okay. December 2nd, 1992. Okay. Ronald Garf of the Utah area is instructed by his stake president, Leland Wright, to stop selling his popular series of videotapes, Today Through Armageddon, which <laughs> dates the second coming of Christ near April 6th, 2000. Huh. The lifelong member protests, I'm not speaking for the church, I never have. Wright, his stake president, counters, he quotes from the prophets, but his evaluations lead people to believe the ideas are from the church and admits putting his membership on hold. Okay. Okay, so Guy has a series of videos about how the Armageddon is going to be in the year 2000. And state president's like, no. please stop doing that. <laughs> please that stop doing Yeah. Yeah. And it was only 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It happens today, don't you think? Did he give some videos to Chad Daybell? <laughs> Just a broad question. <laughs> it is kind of funny, though, right? So yeah. 30 years ago, I guess, is sort of recent, but yeah. there's a lot of stuff like that where people are like, I have the right to say whatever I want to say. Mm -hmm. And then they say, yeah, but you're making people think things that mm -hmm. the, you're think the way you're putting it all together makes it sound like church leaders are saying something mm -hmm. that they're not saying. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I can see why that would be problematic. Do you think it would be handled the same way today? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Quicker? Depends, more it quickly? It depends on how popular it is. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in the handbook, there's a thing called apostasy, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're teaching things that are contrary to the teachings of the church. Yes. But sure, it happens all the time. Okay, but I'm just wondering because because you do live part-time in Rexburg, where the Daybell debacle happened, and I know. I know we're not talking about the Daybell debacle, but I do feel like Rexburg is where those people that those, I don't know if they were followers of his or anyways, this offshoot of people who had these weird beliefs, but were still members of the you Church really of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm just wondering, was there no one there to say, hey, this isn't in line with our teachings. You probably shouldn't keep teaching that. That's all I'm wondering. Like, why didn't anybody pull the daybell aside and be like, hey, please stop teaching this? Well, I don't know that we can be sure that it doesn't happen. That's true. Happen. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that the church keeps that stuff private. And For sure. And if you ask the church, they'll say, they'll say that's a private matter, something mm -hmm. we don't discuss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For good reason, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so what that means is you only get one side of the story mm -hmm. in the media. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay, that was fun. Okay. Do you have any more this week oh, in yeah, yeah. Mormon history? Okay. Okay. 120 years ago. Okay. December 1st, 1902. 
President Joseph F. Smith asked Brother Charles W. Penrose to put into form for publication by the Associated Press certain questions. So the AP is asking questions, okay. and the church is giving formal answers to these questions. Okay. The president of the church. Question. Does the church solemnize or permit plural marriages? Answer. Certainly not. The church does not perform or sanction or authorize marriage in any form that is contrary to the laws of the land. Question. Why then is it asserted that prominent Mormons practice polygamy? Answer. That is done evidently to mislead the general public. Signed, the first president. <laughs> 120 years ago. Yeah. It could still be asked today. <laughs> Isn't it great? You know, it's great. It's great. I, I hope that more people understand that we don't practice polygamy. Um, but yeah, that is that is a very fun, frank conversation from 120 years ago. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. One, one, one more. Okay. One, last, last one. one. Okay. No, never mind. We won't do it. Oh, you, you, you changed your mind? No, I'll do it. Okay. okay 55 okay. years ago, 1967. Okay. New York Metropolitan Museum of Art gives to LDS Church the original Egyptian papyri Whoa. upon which Joseph Smith based the Book of Abraham and the Pearl of Great Price. Scholars and church officials authenticate the papyri as the same used by Smith. Apostle N. Eldon Tanner states the discovery of the papyri will finally prove Joseph Smith could translate ancient documents. Unfortunately, Egyptolo Egyptologists, LDS and non-LDS, verified that these papyri are typical book of breathings in form and content. Church officials began repressing the story that the original papyri have been discovered and are in their possession. Okay, what? Okay. So that was a lot. Oh, okay. Okay, so, okay, explain. So, yeah, so what it is is that they found in the Metropolitan Museum of Art yeah. some papyri that the church that Joseph Smith had bought, uh -huh. like those things you see at right. Pearl of Great Price, okay. the originals of those. Okay. And the church is purchasing them because they're excited. That they found them. going to prove that Joseph Smith translated. Okay. Because okay. now we have the original and then the translation, okay. which we don't have of the Book of Mormon. Okay, okay, okay. And then Egyptian scholars, as they start to read this, they're like, that's the not what that says. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that was 55 years ago. Okay, okay, gotcha. So here's why I think this is a cool story. Yeah. Because this happens all the time. Yeah. People are like, now I'm going to prove that the church is true. Now we're going to we're going to find the scientific proof that shows once and for all that it's yes. true. And it always falls through. Uh-huh. Because I believe that God never gives too much evidence okay. on one side or the other okay because faith is ultimately a choice right you got to decide what you're going to believe okay so there's always going to be enough evidence that you can believe in the book of mormon and there's going to be enough that you can disbelieve in the book of mormon mm -hmm. and same thing with the book of abraham mm -hmm. because if it's proven like that then there's no space for faith right yeah once once brother jared sees the finger of god he doesn't have faith anymore because now he knows uh-huh so i think that it's fun that members of the church are always looking for yes the definitive proof yes to show the world that the church is true. Yes. And then it's always full. And non-believers are all, always looking for the, there's no way it could be true because of this proof. Mm -hmm. And neither one, neither one of them is, and you believe, ever going to be provable. I don't think so. Yeah. It, yeah, I, well, because again, we're taught that belief is a choice. Mm -hmm. You have to choose to believe. Absolutely. So if you give too much evidence on one side or the other, you lose your opportunity to choose. Yeah. For me, it's not about... It's not about um, proof because um, I, I do believe that faith is a choice. Um, but I also think that ultimately my journey in faith is about a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And so regardless of what facts or figures or stories or really anything is out there, it, to me, it's a feeling that I have a, a relationship feeling 
with my savior. And so, um, and, and I think it's a little bit different than faith. Cause I do believe like I choose to be in the church because I choose to live this way. And I, I like the things that are a part of it, but, but ultimately for me, it's more about the relationship with Jesus Christ than it is about all of the pieces and parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Oh, Matt. <laughs> We did such a great job. <laughs> it's hey, been listener, fun. Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah, it's been fun talking with you today. And um, yeah, thanks so much. Have a great this week in Mormons. Maybe we'll talk to you again. Yep. Thank you. Bye.